I'm not a high mileage advocate. I'm not a low mileage advocate. I'm a right mileage advocate. Find the right mileage that works for you. The most miles that you can run without compromising your performance in workouts or races, without compromising your recovery, without compromising your life outside of running, uh, your relationship with your family and friends, work, etc. Find out what that is for you. It's going to be a little bit different for everyone. There's a huge misnomer out there that, oh, if I want to be good at the marathon, I've got to run over 50 miles a week or over 70 miles a week or over 100 miles, whatever it is. Uh, everyone's got a different idea in their head what they what they need to be doing. Find out what that that peak is for you and try to run as many weeks as possible at that volume in the 12 to 16 weeks leading up to a marathon. Not every week. Um, you should cycle, build in rest weeks, that sort of thing. But find that highest sustainable volume for you. All right, we've got the fourth and final Ask Mario Anything episode of 2021. On the other side of the mic for this one, per usual, is Morning Shakeout Sponsorship Director, Chris Douglas. Chris, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. This is, uh, I'm getting used to this. <laughs> well, in what's become a bit of a tradition for these Ask Mario Anything episodes of the podcast, you are recently coming off of another swim run event. I swear yeah. to God, we haven't planned them quite this way, but maybe the <laughs> quarterly, I don't know, your quarterly racing schedule and I our guess. quarterly release schedule yeah. for these podcasts are just are just coinciding. But I've purposely refrained from not asking you about your most recent <laughs> swim run race in Austin because I wanted to do it on this podcast. But I do know that you and your partner, Chipper, finished on the podium, which is super cool. Congratulations on that. But give us the Cliff's Notes version of your last race. Sure. Well, it was was an awesome race. It was Odyssey Swim Run Austin was... uh Odyssey Swim Run is a race race organization. And yeah, it's the second time we've done that race. We did it last year, which was one of the only races that happened in the US during COVID. Um, so it was because swim runs are so random and you just pretty much have to take what it gives you. It's really hard to compare races apples to apples unless you're doing exactly the same race. And usually the races change every year. So yeah, it was it was super cool to actually go back there after a year of training and and working super hard on trying to get better and and yeah, we've ended up on the podium, which was super cool. But I think probably a better measure is that we knocked off over 30 minutes from last year's time. So yeah, it was it was a great day. Great to be out there. It's, you know, I'm obviously drank the Kool-Aid <laughs> on swim run, but it but it's super fun. And uh yeah, now we're sort of looking forward to 2022. And we have I wouldn't say a great chance, but we have a decent chance of qualifying for the world championship in Sweden. Um, which would be 75K race with 65K of running and 10K of swimming. Oh, boy. <laughs> Over 22 transitions. So that would be that would be sporty. So we'll see. Crossing our fingers. We'll, we'll know in early January if we qualify. So That's, that's awesome. What that's do you attribute the 30-minute improvement to over last year? I mean, that's a good question. I think it's a combination of just, you know, because we have our own podcast, um, just thinking about swim run and talking about it. I think we have our swim run IQ super high and just, I think it's like anything, the more time you spend on it, 
the better you get at even training for it and sort of understanding how to train for it. And again, because every race is different, it's it's, it's not like you're training for a marathon where you know exactly what you're going to get. So I think it's just being becoming more and more comfortable dealing with ambiguity and dealing with the elements because it could be rainy, it could be cold, it could be hot. There's just everything that could go on. So I think uh, Chipper and myself as teammates, we've grown this year a lot and we've had some pretty good races and some tough races. And yeah, I think it's just that, just time time together on the tether. You need to trademark <laughs> that or something. Yeah. Time together on the tether. Yeah, man. Have you used that before? I haven't. I just, just just rolled off the tongue just now. Just right off the tongue, dude. Trademark. That. <laughs> I feel like that'd be an amazing T-shirt. You guys could. Um, how you guys are you could feeling? How are you feeling after Boston? I mean, that feels like forever ago at this point. I I feel good. I mean, physically, I came off the race just fine. When you when you slow down as much as I did over the second half, and I know speed is relative, relative. <laughs> but you don't beat your body up nearly as much as when you can stay on the gas for the entire 26.2 miles. I had major stomach trouble starting at mile 12, and that persisted through the end of the race, into the evening, and even into the next day a little bit. I'm still not sure exactly what the culprit is, but I'm pretty certain it was something that I ate the day before the race. And yeah, I mean, I I did the best that I could in that situation. I'm really proud of that finish. But I mean, the last 14 miles for me was just make it to the next mile marker, make it to the next mm -hmm, mile marker, mm -hmm. because at the mile marker, there were porta potties and I had to use them quite frequently the second half so of rough. the race. But I mean, physically I came off of it. Okay. Fortunately by Tuesday night after the Monday race, I was able to eat a full meal. My stomach was back to normal, knock on wood. I haven't had any issues since then, as far as that goes, but you know, mentally and, and emotionally, I, I was okay. I was at peace with it. I mean, what happened happened. There was nothing I could have mm -hmm. done other than what I what I did in that situation. I, I had two options really. I could have stepped off the side of the course and called my dad and got picked up and you know just just carried my stomach trouble elsewhere, or I could just you know find a way to the mm -hmm. the finish, which is the option that you know that I that I chose. Um, so I'm I'm proud of how I responded to the adversity of of that situation. I've never had issues like that in a race before. I wish them upon no one. I hope it never happens to me again, but right. these things happen in in long races and I'm really really proud that I was able to to get through it. I was able to re-qualify and I just really feel good about that. But in the last few weeks, I mean, I've had all those emotions that everyone feels after a race doesn't go your way. You're like, I want to redeem myself. So like four days after Boston, I signed up for this half marathon, which was this past weekend in mm -hmm. Clarksburg, just outside of Sacramento. So a little over an hour from where we live here in Marin. And I'll be honest, I was not super thrilled with my decision. Uh, the last couple of weeks, I was like, uh, I just like mentally and emotionally, I'm just, I'm, I'm just not like into the training that I need to do mm -hmm. for this half marathon to go as, as well as I would like it to go. But I signed up, my wife ended up signing up for it as well. I had friends who were running the race. We had our good friends, Fernando and Emily over just a couple of weeks prior. Fernando told me that he wanted to try and run under 112. He'd never broken 112 before. He's prepping for CIM. And I said to him on the spot, I said, I'm going to 
run with you as long as possible and try to help you get under 112. I'm not confident that I can do it, but I'm going to try for as long as I can. And that's exactly what I did. We ran 530 per mile uh, pretty routinely through about six or seven miles. And and at that point, I realized it was, it was just too hot for my legs, given the relative lack of running that I've done yeah. since Boston. So I had to back off a little bit. Uh, fortunately, he had company in the form of Tim Tollefson all the way to the finish line. They got under 112, 111, 51, I believe. I was 112, 44, so not too far behind. I could see them the entire time, but I I couldn't maintain that rhythm. Uh, So that's the end of my year as far as racing goes. It was a very truncated (laughs) racing season, but I felt like it was all in all a productive one, and I am very, very happy to be in off-season mode right now. I'm just running every other day, taking the dog out for hikes, not worried about my weekly mileage or any of that, not even thinking about 2022 yet, and just going to enjoy the holiday season here over the next month or so. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think you can definitely rest on the fact that you had an awesome training block leading up to Boston, and obviously that carried over. I think most people would, would... you know, sell their soul to Satan to do a one twelve half. So, so that's that's pretty badass. Yeah, the training block itself was one of the most fun and productive of my entire life, and that is no bit of hyperbole at all. I had so much fun training mm-hmm. for Boston. I had a regular group of guys that I was meeting up with twice a week on average for a workout on Wednesday and usually long run on the weekend. And none of them were running Boston. Uh, We were just getting together as friends to push each other through a workout, to keep one another company through a long run. And I I look back at those days with just so much fondness. I just, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Uh, It was just so much fun for me to do that every week. We met up this morning. We didn't do a workout this morning. We just met up to run just to kind of keep that, that routine going. And the longer I've been in this sport, the more I realize that's what it's about. I've always known that's what it's about. I look back to my my cross-country days in college, and I have fond memories of all of that time I spent with teammates and workouts and things that we've done. Um, but race day is only one day. And yes, it's an important day, and you want it to go well, and it's nice when it does, but you can't lose sight of the, the bigger picture, like all of those days in between. And I had a lot of days leading up to Boston that I will just cherish forever. And and to me, that is a sign of a, of a great training block, not necessarily what happens on the day itself. Totally, totally. Should we, uh, should we thank our sponsors? That's your job, right? It is my job. <laughs> Thank you, sponsors. Okay, moving on. No, just kidding. Um, so we have two sponsors for this episode. The first one is New Balance, who I think it's safe to say Mario and I both love. Um, you wore New Balances for for Boston. How did that work out? I've worn New Balances all year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Fair enough. And and indeed for Boston, I raced in the Fuel Cell RC Elite V2. Loved it. Um, Had no issues with my feet. They felt great. I mean, they've got awesome cushioning underfoot for the marathon, but that responsiveness that you want that makes you feel fast. But I spent most of the year running in the new Fresh Foam 1080 V11. That is my go-to trainer. I think I've gone through, I'm on my fourth pair of them for this year. Um, And I run a fair amount of miles, but they hold up really, really well. I mean, I've gotten pretty much 500 miles out of every pair that I've run in this year. And they've got amazing cushioning underfoot. They just fit 
so, so well. They're snug without being tight. They're durable and they can just, they can just handle it. Um, they can just handle the day in, day out mileage. And that was a shoe that I did most of my miles in. I did a lot of long runs in that shoe. I did most of my just aerobic distance runs in that shoe. I used it for recovery days. I would put on either the Rebel V2 or the RC Elite for workouts, the days where I'm going faster and pushing myself a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it's like a mindset thing too. And you, when you put the fast shoes on, you're just like, okay, yeah, it's time to kind of dig in and, and <laughs> just kind of get work. after here. <laughs> but I mean, I, I ran a lot of miles this year in the 1080, like close to 2000 miles this year in the 1080 V11. And I love it. It's the most solid training shoe that I've ever worn, period. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking of stockpiling a few pairs before we go into 2022. I'm sure the V12 is going to be great and I will certainly try it when it comes out, but I am in love with the V11. I love the V10 too. I mean, the V10 mm -hmm. was a great shoe. I put a lot of miles in that last year, but the V11, just the subtle changes that they made to the fit and ride of that shoe made me fall in love with it. And I, I really, really don't want to let it go, but I'm looking forward to the V12 when it does come out. So Fresh Foam 1080 V11 from New Balance. It's available in men's and women's. Check it out on newbalance.com. Also check in with your local specialty run retailer if they carry New Balance. That shoe is definitely on their wall. It is my go-to trainer, and I promise you that it will serve you well. You just got me super stoked because I just got a pair of 1080s, like literally last week. Have you run them yet? Nope. Why not? I haven't taken them out of the box yet. I don't know. I'm just, I don't know what I was waiting for. I was like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to. But well, now you have no excuse. I gotta go. Yeah, I'll, tomorrow. I'm gonna use them tomorrow. How about that? Um, that's awesome. Our next sponsor is a new sponsor for the show, Recover Athletics. I just finished a Recover Athletics session before you got over here. So I've been dealing with some ankle crap for the last like several years, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been persistent over the past few months as I've prepped for Boston. I'm fine running on the roads and the track, but if I'm on any kind of uneven trail, I just feel very unstable and weak. And I've been doing dutifully a ankle and posterior tibialis rehab program on the Recover Athletics app. And I'm, I'm certainly not cured yet. I need to keep doing this like yeah, day yeah. in and day out. Um, but I'm already feeling a difference just in terms of mobility in that area and strength. And what the Recover Athletics app is, it's the first ever prehab app for runners that's guaranteed to make you stronger and more resistant to those annoying injuries like the one that I just described to you mm -hmm. uh, that threatened to derail your training. And fortunately for me, um, the ankle didn't really derail my training, but you don't want to be running on a wobbly ankle for too long. Um, at some point, it's, it's going to go. And I knew, I knew that like right now, races are behind me. I'm in my off season. I'm not going to be building up for a while. Like now's the time to really focus on that uh, while I've got my mileage dialed back, but Recover Athletics, they've worked with some of the world's best sports physicians and Olympians such as Meb Kofleski to design this app. It makes prehab fun and easy. My routine for the ankle is 20 minutes. They've got routines for everything. I mean, head mm -hmm. to toe, literally, you could do prehab rehab exercises. They have strength routines in there. There's pre-run warm-up routine just to get loose. There's like a Meb's five-minute loosen up for the run routine that I've been using before easy runs. Yep these past few weeks. And I mean, there's different resistance exercises, plyometrics, mobility work. I mean, it's really, really well thought out and organized. The content is, is top notch. And I mean, as they say, no pills, no potions, no BS. It's just 100% evidence-based exercises. They're really easy to follow on your iPhone or iPad. It is iOS only. And 
you need to go to the iOS app store on your iPhone or on your iPad. You can find it on either one of those devices. Search for Recover Athletics, pull it up, and then I just set up my iPad and follow along. Yeah. And um, Yeah, so, so the app is free for one prehab routine. And then after that, you can... Um, you know, you have to you have to subscribe, but essentially, if there is a part of your body that has some sort of niggle, like maybe your hamstrings are messed up or your IT bands are tight, you can you you basically put in your information. You tell them what parts of the body are sore, and it'll it'll actually give you one prehab, program. Yeah, customized program that's one prehab routine that's free for you to use. Um, the folks over there were cool enough to give us full access, so we've been messing around with a lot of the stuff. And yeah, I mean, I've been using it for my hamstrings, and it's. Yeah, like the eccentric bridges have changed my life. It's wild how big the library is yeah. and just how many exercises and routines there are for, I mean, you name it, plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis, mm-hmm. chin splints, runner's knee, um, tight hip flexors, piriformis syndrome. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But I definitely would encourage you to check it out if you are using an iPhone or an iPad. Go to the App Store, search Recover Athletics, download it. It's free. Check out the free routine just so you can get a feel for it poke around a little bit and if you like it and you want to upgrade the premium subscription costs less than one trip to the pt so (laughs) check out the recover athletics app today um keep the consistency going in your training because that's what it's all about i mean i said this the last time i talked about the recover athletics app and i will say it again if you want to race to your potential you have to train your potential and in order to train to your potential you need to stay healthy and not let injuries compromise your consistency and the recover athletics app will help you keep that consistency going we actually have a couple announcements to to mention this week before we get into the ama drum roll please yeah so the first one is i'm i'm super stoked to be able to say this but we're actually going to be launching a new monthly show that's going to happen the last week of every month that's going to be a sort of a combo ama variety current events travels race reports rants you name it um, we're not sure what it's going to be called yet, so we might do some crowdsourcing to figure out what what we should call that show. But yeah, we're going to do it monthly, so it'll be a monthly sort of AMA format. And uh, yeah, Mario and I will just get behind the mics and talk about what's going on. Yeah, I'm super stoked to do something like this on a more regular basis. The feedback has has been surprising but incredible. Uh, apparently, you guys love this AMA type of episode. So we are going to give you more of them. It'll be Chris and I on a monthly basis. Maybe occasionally we'll pull in another guest as well. We don't have a name for it yet. So we are indeed going to crowdsource the name. If you have any idea what we should call this monthly variety AMA show, email it to me at mario at the morningshakeout.com. You can send it to our social media. That's at the AM Shakeout on Twitter and Instagram. And let us know if you have a catchy name that we can call this show. And if we choose yours, we will send you a morning shakeout t-shirt. How's that yeah. sound? Yeah. Sounds great. Sounds great. Yeah. My 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 front runner is the more the monthly shakeout, but that just sounds weird. I don't want to have shakeout in there yeah. as well. Then it's like the morning shakeout, monthly shakeout. Yeah, it's too much. Yeah, well, let's let's see much. what what the listeners come up with. We'll go through all of those submissions and we will announce that here in early 2022. Yeah. Um, so our second announcement is that we are reigniting our efforts to build 
a more robust morning shakeout community. And we're going to be doing this on Patreon. So if you're a Patreon supporter now, thank you. We love you. But we want to give you more. We really haven't been doing that much um, on that platform except for the uh, the weekly rundown podcast with Billy Yang. So we're going to be doing a lot more. Starting in January, we're going to have a monthly coaches call with Mario and maybe other special guests. No, nope, definitely having special guests. Definitely so having I've, special guests. I've got a pretty big network of, of coaches that I can awesome. reach out to. So every month we're going to do a coaches call with myself and one of my coaching colleagues from the world of endurance sports. Love it. We'll be for Patreon members only. We will source questions beforehand, but you'll also have the opportunity to tune in live and ask your questions to me and whoever my guest is. I'm super stoked about that. We've had a bunch of requests for it. So we're going to do that for our Patreon community, which are, I mean, let's face it, those are the super supporters of the ShakeOut. Shout out to all of you who are already supporting us on Patreon. So grateful for your direct support. It keeps this thing going in addition to sponsorship, allows me to do it week in and week out. And I'm excited to finally be able to just offer some more to those of you who have been behind this since the very beginning. Yeah. So in addition to that, there's going to be sort of occasional ad hoc bonus behind the scenes content about the newsletter, topics, workouts, you know, maybe some rants from Mario if he feels it feels like he needs to get it off his chest um, and, and to and to help sort of, you know, like mentioned, ignite this Patreon community. Um, anyone who signs up for an annual membership that's on the $12, $12 per month tier is going to receive a buff, a sticker and a coaster. So you'll you'll be you'll be dialed in for working out, putting it on your car and drinking your recovery drink slash beer after after your day. Got you covered. Morning shakeout swag up the wazoo. Yeah. Um, you can support us at the morningshakeout.com slash support. That will take you to our Patreon page. As Chris just mentioned, there will be a new option for annual support where you can just put it up for one year instead of doing month to month. Anyone who signs up for that annual support level will get a buff, a coaster, a sticker set, and a handwritten thank you card from me. Anyone who has been at our highest tier, which is $12 a month or more for at least a year, we will also send you that same package as a retroactive extra thank you for your support. Many of you have already gotten stickers and a handwritten note from me, um, but I really want you to know that we, we couldn't do this without you. We really couldn't. I mean, sponsorship, we're super grateful for our sponsors. I'm really proud of who we've partnered with. I wouldn't partner with them if I didn't believe in them and use their product. But you know, also sponsorship isn't always predictable, but the support we get on Patreon, I mean, that support is essential and it helps keep the lights on here at the Morning Shakeout. Awesome. Yeah, that's going to be super fun. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that how that community grows. Yeah. So we'll have still three levels of support for $12 a month or for $125 a year. You can also support the work that we're doing here at the Morning Shakeout. The access to the content that we just mentioned, that monthly coaching call, the weekly rundown podcast with Billy Yang, behind the scenes content, and whatever else that I throw out to the Patreon community, no matter what level you're at, you'll be able to access that. There are, there are no restrictions on who can see what. Um, the difference will be the annual supporters are going to get a bigger thank you from me besides just a couple stickers and a thank you note. Yeah, and just to add a little teaser, I don't even think I've told you this, Mario, but I'm just going to tell everybody. 
Um, our sponsors are also super stoked about this. So there's going to be sponsor giveaways, Gooders really on board. So there's going to be all kinds of stuff happening on there. So, you know, don't, don't, be, don't be surprised if we start giving away a bunch of sunglasses and shoes and all kinds of stuff uh, for our Patreon community. So that was, that's going to be super fun. That's amazing. I mean, and that just goes to show you how amazing our, our sponsors are, that they're even getting behind our Patreon community. They know that you are the super supporters of the ShakeOut, and they're going to create opportunities for us to throw some swag your way. And I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. All right, should we get to some listener questions? Let's get to some listener questions. All right, so the first the first two questions are essentially the same question. So Lisa R. and Laura S. both asked, um, you seem to really wax nostalgic about Massachusetts <laughs> and New England, <laughs> and you have pride in your home state, which is awesome, um, but you also have a lot of fond memories and a lot of pride for living in Marin. Have you ever thought about moving back to, to New England? And if so, where do you think you would live? Oh, man, I... I I get some version of this question fairly frequently. So as a little background, I am born and raised in central Massachusetts. I spent pretty much the first 28 years of my life there, minus four years where I was at Stonehill College, which was only an hour away. So I was in the same general vicinity for the first 28 years of my life. And for almost the past 12, I've lived in California. The first three and a half years of that were in San Diego, and ever since been here in the Bay Area with my wife, Christine. We now live in Marin County. We purchased our home two years ago. I am fairly certain that we are not going anywhere anytime soon, if ever. That said, I do have an incredible fondness for where I'm from. My family is still there. A lot of my best friends still live there. I try to get back as often as I can to visit. And I think I actually have more of an appreciation for where I grew up and where I'm from than I did when I actually lived there. Something about, you know, absence making the heart grow fonder, or at least like, you know, making the, uh, making the view a little bit clearer in the, in the rear view. But it is doubtful that we will move back to New England, central Massachusetts specifically anytime soon, if ever, if by some chance I, I catch a windfall and money is not an issue, I'd love to buy a second home there, but, uh, that is definitely not in the, not in the financial cards. So I think we're going to be in, in Marin County anytime soon. We love it here. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful places that I've ever been in the entire world. I truly do feel at home here, even though it's not where I'm from originally. And I, I think it's a really beautiful and special thing to be able to feel like you've got multiple homes. Uh, when I go back to Massachusetts, I, I feel at home, even though I've been away for a long time. But when I come back here, it feels like home as well. And I can't really describe it any better than that, but I feel really grateful to be in that position. I think it's safe to say that uh, the state of California and Northern California in particular has adopted you as, as one of their own. So uh, we definitely don't want to see you go anywhere. No, no worries on that. <laughs> All right. Our next question comes from Carol W. Her question is about trail running and racing. She has been running for a long time, like 40 years. She's 62 and wants to start participating in local trail races nearby. Good for you, Carol. Yeah. She loves the trails. They're much easier on her joints. Um, she lives in Missouri, so most of the trails are pretty rocky and rooted out, and she's deathly afraid of falling. She was competitive when she was racing in the roads and knows that she wants to start racing 
and trails, but knows she's going to have to take it slow. Do you have any advice to help her transition from to racing on trails? Great question. First of all, I can confirm that Missouri trails are indeed rockier <laughs> and rootier than what we have here in Northern California. My wife, Christine, is from just outside of St. Louis. We've gone on some trail runs near the house where she grew up in, and it is a completely different world um, from the trails that I run here in Northern California. But that being said, to answer Carol's question, it's it's kind of a different sport. And I do think you have to think of it that way when transitioning from road running to trail running, trail racing. And there are a lot of things that one needs to consider when doing that. But I think the the main thing is the surface that you're running on. It's not nearly as uniform. Um, and I don't just mean that in terms of undulations in the terrain, but what's actually happening underneath your feet, those rocks and those roots. Uh, it's hard to run with a consistent stride. Your foot plant's going to be a little bit different every time. And that can be a big shift for road runners who aren't used to running on that type of terrain on a, on a regular basis. So I'd say, number one, just spend more time on the trails and get comfortable in that environment. The more time you spend on the trails, yes, you are probably going to take some falls. I think that's just part of the sport as we, we can both attest to. But you you also just have to get comfortable in that environment. You'll learn where to place your feet, how to navigate rocks and roots and, and all of that sort of stuff. Eventually, when you gain some comfort, I would start transitioning some of your key workouts that you would do on the roads onto the trails. The trick is, whereas on the roads or if you're on the track doing an interval session, oftentimes we will do things by distance and pace. For example, three to four times a mile at 10K pace. You go on the trails, not every trail is created equal. So distance and pace don't mean the same things. I think you've got to switch your mindset to more of time and effort. So if you would typically do your mile repeats in seven minutes with you know half recovery, so let's say three and a half minutes in between, you go onto the trails, don't worry about the distance, just do three to four by seven minutes, that same amount of time at the same intensity that you do your mile repeats with three and a half minutes recovery. Um, so I think that's a, you know, that's a, a big shift for a lot of road runners who are getting into the trails and also just giving yourself the chance to gain experience racing on the trails. The more frequently you do it, the better you should get at it. The more comfortable you're going to feel in that environment. You can observe things when you're in a trail race, just seeing how they go out, what type of moves people make, that sort of thing. Uh, and just, just getting comfortable with it in that way. And then next time you go out, making some adjustments yourself. So the more that you do it, the better that you're going to get at it. And then the last thing I would say, and this should go for all runners in general, but I think it's even more important when transitioning to the trails, Work on your overall athleticism and general strength. The trails are easier on your body more often than not because the surface is a little bit softer underfoot, but it's also asking more of you. Um, you know, the movements are a bit more dynamic. They're not quite as uniform as when you're running on the roads. I think that can be a, a good thing because, you know, the the repetitive stress is, is a little bit less. There's just a little bit more variety built into the trails, but the stronger that you can get, the more athletic that you can get, the better you're going to be able to handle a variety of different environments. That's great. 
All right, our next question comes from David, and this is more of a coach-to-coach -coach question. David has been coaching individuals for the past three to four years and has recently had a number of folks ask to help him train them for trail races and ultras. He doesn't have any experience in the area personally, and he's coached pretty much entirely people who are from a mile up to road marathons. He'd like to experiment on himself, a la Madame Curie style, to hone his coaching philosophy and methods. But living in an urban area in a part of Kentucky, he doesn't really have that much opportunity to get out on the trails and experience that side of the sport. Mario, do you have any recommendations on how do you how to approach coaching trail runners or good resources to check out to get started? So this is a good follow up to Carol's question. Yeah. We can go a little more nuanced on it from a coaching perspective. I think number one, and this is more specific to ultras uh, in general, but trail ultras, let's let's call it. Intensity matters. Um, a lot of ultra runners and coaches of ultra runners will oftentimes trade intensity for volume. And in my experience, this is a huge mistake. Just running a lot more miles is only going to get you so fit. But doing workouts, intervals, tempo runs, hill repeats. That's going to get you really fit. Um, and that doesn't necessarily necessitate a, a ton of volume. And that's going to vary for, for people. But that's going to get you really, really fit. And regular workouts at varying intensities, they're going to do more for your fitness than just doing a bunch of long slogs in succession. So that's that's number one. Number two, for ultras, I've found you can keep the spirit of marathon training more or less the same as far as intensity goes and how you structure those workouts. But I'd recommend transitioning to assigning more runs and workouts, as we talked about in the answer to the last question, by time and effort rather than miles and pace. It's wild how big of a shift that is for mm -hmm. a lot of road runners and coaches. Uh, we oftentimes, and I was guilty of this as well, think in terms of miles and pace, but that doesn't always translate quite so nicely to the trails. And the reason for that is the trails, as we discussed in the answer to the last question, they're a lot less uniform than the roads and your paces are going to vary depending on the terrain, the footing, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, Next, as best or as realistically as possible, encourage the athlete to train on the terrain or in the environment that mimics the event that they're training for. And if this is impossible due to geography, um, David mentioned how he's in an urban area of Kentucky, doesn't have a ton of trail access. Focus on getting them as fit as possible because that's the most important thing that any athlete can take with them to a start line. Fitness can offset a lot of things. Uh, it can offset challenges in terrain or, or the course. It can offset uh, adverse weather conditions. It can offset altitude if you're from sea level. Like You want to get to the start line as fit as possible. And I found that as I mentioned in the last answer, doing some ancillary work to help get the athlete just stronger and more athletic in general can be helpful in the long races, especially those that are on technical and, and varying terrain. Um, last part of this answer, at the end of the day, 
I approach coaching trail and ultra runners using the same framework and guidelines as any other athlete that I coach. And it starts just by asking a, a series of questions as I'm preparing their training schedule. What are the demands of the event that they're training for? What does a successful outcome look like for them? How long do we have to prepare? Where are they currently in terms of fitness and preparedness? Where do they have the most room to improve and grow? What do we need to do to work on those things to close that gap in the amount of time that we have until the event? And then I'll go to work on designing the training plan from there. I don't know if that fully answers David's question, but that's how I think about getting into coaching trail and ultra runners. That's the approach that I took when I got into coaching trail and ultra runners about seven years ago, because I'd run on trails. I'd never really raced on trails. I'd race cross country, but it's a different thing. Um, I ran my first ultra within three months of, of moving up here. I had athletes within a few months of that asking me to coach them for trail and ultras. And that's how I went about figuring it out was exactly as I just described in that answer. Well, I wish I would have heard this answer when I started training for ultras because I pretty much did everything wrong. I went with the, yeah, I just got to put miles on the feet when I was training for my first 50 miler. And what ended up happening, I had a successful race, but I lost all my speed. I had no gears left. All I had was is like zone two, could go for hours, but if I had to pick it up, I would just destroy myself. Yeah. And that's not to say volume isn't important. Mm-hmm. But it's no more important than any of the other elements that you need to nail as well. Yes, your long runs for an ultra are going to be longer for the most part than you would do for a marathon. But you don't need to go overboard on them. As I described a little while ago, focus on getting as fit as possible. And you're going to get fitter by doing again, hill workouts, intervals, tempos, et cetera, than you are just by running a lot more miles. And then the last thing I'll add into this is the following. Oftentimes, runners who just add on a ton of volume and they shy away from intensity, they tend to get sloppy um, and they don't really do much to improve their fitness or their athleticism. And you watch them run and it's it's just ugly. They're not moving well at all. So focus on moving well. I mean, if you've watched an ultra and I'm not just talking about the top finishers here, but the people who are finishing well, for the most part, you watch how they're moving and technically they're quite sound. They're holding it together very well. It's not about picking it up at the end of an ultra race or even a a marathon or necessarily a a 10k if we really want to get into it. Mm -hmm. It's It's about not allowing yourself to unravel and fall apart. And in order to do that, you've got to get really fit, you've got to get really strong, and you've got to focus on moving well. Yeah, and I, would, I guess my little footnote to that is like, hey, you live in Florida and you're doing some super hilly ultra, go find a bridge. Go go run a bridge. You you, you can find hills if you need it. You can do your intensity if you got to do that on a treadmill or something. There's, there's ways to make it happen, even if it isn't... Uh, Get creative. I got people doing hill repeats in parking garages. I've got people doing stair repeats in order to work on their climbing ability. I mean, there there are multiple ways to do it. I mean, that's part of what I love about coaching these events. There's just so many like just crazy variables that you have to account for. It really forces you to think about the specifics of designing someone's training program and working within the parameters that you have to set them up for success. Totally, totally. Speaking about being set up for success, Todd M. asks, 
this is probably my worst transition ever, but I thought it was pretty it. good. Just roll with it. <laughs> um, do, Mario, do you create multiple race plans to be able to adjust on the fly? Let's say if there's like a weather issue or, you know, trying to anticipate stomach problems or something like that when you, when you're designing plans? Always, always. I think if you have one plan and you are hell bent on following that plan and one little thing goes awry, the whole thing ends up going to shit. So you've got to have, a, B, C, D, even E and F type of plans for different scenarios. What I often encourage my athletes to do, and we'll work on this together leading up to an event, is to think of the worst case scenario. Like, get creative, dream up the absolute like worst case scenario and how you're going to deal with it, should that happen. 99.9% um, .9 of the time, whatever happens to you during the race isn't as bad as the worst case scenario. But True. we've rehearsed all of these different scenarios in the lead up to a race so that if and when something happens while you're out there, we know how to respond. Uh, right, we right. don't freak out. I mean, oftentimes in these situations, what gets the best of people is they lose their cool. They freak out. And I think the better prepared you are going in, that's certainly physical fitness, but also mental fitness as well. The more relaxed you can be in a tense situation and the more relaxed you are in a tense situation, the better decisions you're going to make and the better decisions you make in the moment, the greater the likelihood for success. I mean, that's a really good point because if you think about, there's so many things that you can sort of visualize and mentally prepare for. So taking the example of nutrition, yeah, you got your plan A, you're going to do gels or something like that. Um, what if gels stop working? You know, what are you going to do? Maybe it makes sense to know what they're going to have at the A stations before the race to see if there's a plan B that you can rely on. So at least, yeah, you have your plan A, but if that's not working, I mean, that happened to me. I was doing a ultra and nothing was working. And then I discovered Pringles and Pringles basically saved my race. Um, special place in my heart for Pringles from then on out. But it was only because I knew it was going to be there and I knew, okay, let me try something salty. Let me try something that's easily digestible. Um, and going into it, I had a plan that, you know, on the other side, it ended up being, it didn't end up being like a colossal disaster of any way. All right. The next question comes from Raymond O. <laughs> this is a, this is an interesting one. If you could prescribe one year round speed sec, just one, a speed session to cover all distances, what would it be? Go. <laughs> I love this question. It's an easy answer for me. And this is one workout, but there are a few different ways that you could structure it. It would be a tempo run. And for those of you listening to this who are unaware, a tempo run is best described as comfortably hard running for a sustained amount of time, typically between 20 and 40 minutes. For most people, it falls somewhere between 10K and half marathon effort. So I would do a 20 to 40 minute tempo run. And depending on the athlete, where they are throughout the course of the year and what it is that they're training for, I mean, that tempo run can, can vary as far as the amount of time. The second component of the workout would be intervals or hill repeats before or after. And I like doing that because it's a different stimulus. So whereas the tempo run is very aerobic in nature, shorter, faster intervals or shorter, faster hill repeats are going to be in some cases anaerobic, uh, but certainly more intense. They're involving the muscular system a bit more. 
they're going to help with mechanics and that sort of thing. So it'd be a combination of a tempo run and hill repeats or intervals. But I guess if I can only choose one workout, I've got to be a little bit more specific than that. So I'm going to yeah, go... Yeah, that's like one workout in three parts. That's that's. A... I'm going to go 20 to 40 minute tempo run at 10K to half marathon effort. Five to 10 minute recovery, depending how long your tempo run is. And then we will do four to six by one minute hill repeats afterward on a steep but runnable grade. So you can run the entire time. You shouldn't have to get your hands on your knees and start hiking. And we'd hit those hills at about 90% effort and we would take our sweet time coming down. So 20 to 40 minute tempo run, five to 10 minute recovery, and then four to six by one minute hills at a hard effort on a challenging grade. Wow. So, so, I, and then I guess uh, like a variation of that would be depending where you are in your training cycle, that could be either longer, shorter, more intense, less intense kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, you can manipulate every aspect of it. You could do shorter hills at a more intense effort. You could do longer hills at a slightly less intense effort. Sometimes I'll flip this in, do the hill repeats first, really just to fatigue the athlete. Um, that way we at least hit the hills when, when they're fresh so we can get a little bit more out of them that way, but it really fatigues them muscularly. And then we've got to run the tempo run on compromised legs and that better simulates the demands of a race sometimes. So I've, I've gone, I've gone both ways. Mm -hmm. Um, so you could go both ways yourself, but it would be tempo run plus hill repeats and whether you put them before or after, um, really depend. I guess that's a, would that be the same workout with it? Well, they're different workouts, I guess. Spirit of the same workout. Yeah. I don't know. Um, it's like one workout with a couple components and you can sort of flip them. Move depending. the components. Yeah. yeah. I like that. That okay. works. That works. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I like that. I like, I like having the flexibility to kind of move the components around as, as, you know, as necessary. Cause if you're going to be doing this one workout <laughs> year round, um, yeah, you know, I, I think there, I think there at least has to be, you have to allow for, you know, just some variation in terms of how long the tempo run is going to be. Cause maybe early on in the year when you're not as fit, you're only going to go 20 minutes at that intensity. And then as you get fitter later in the year, you go 40 minutes. And then same thing, you know, with the Hills early on, someone hasn't been doing Hill work, throwing them one minute Hill repeats, probably going to set them up for an Achilles injury. So I'd want to start with like shorter Hill repeats early on. And then, you know, as, as the year goes on, uh, those, those repeats can get longer and, or, you know, more intense, but yeah, I think one workout, two components, and then allowing, <laughs> I, I'm totally taking Liberty with this, answer, but then allowing for some flexibility show, within you how you manipulate the, the components of the workout. I love it. I love it. All right. Our next question comes from Caleb. He's been in a rut. I'm assuming a running rut for the last past, for about a, a year or so. And it's primarily started when he when he put on an, the ungodly focus of trying to get a sub three to qualify for Boston. So kudos for for putting that goal on you. His fitness is there, but over the past two marathons, his heart rate has spiked way quicker than his training indicates, leaving him absolutely bonked way too early in the race. Do you have any recommendations on how to get past this mental block? And this is my corollary question: Is it a mental block, or is it something? Is it a training thing? Well. Hard for me to answer your corollary because I don't know anything about Caleb's training specifically, but I do think there is a mental component here for sure. And I always get a little worried when someone is too focused on one thing. In this case, it is trying to 
get that sub three and qualify for Boston. If that is your only marker of success, anything that's not that you're going to deem a failure and you're going to fail to recognize your progress. And when someone is so singularly focused on one thing, in this case, sub three qualifying for Boston, that's a lot of pressure. Like that's a lot of pressure to, to put on yourself and use that as your, you know, your barometer for success. If I get sub three and qualify for Boston, it's successful. And if I didn't, then, you know, it's, it's a failure. So I would, I would zoom out a little bit first and it's good to have that goal as something that you want to achieve, but look at it kind of in the greater context of, of the year or even multiple years, how you want to progress as an athlete, give yourself some intermediate goals along the way. Maybe that's setting a half marathon PR. Maybe that's setting a a 10 K PR. Maybe it has nothing to do with a race at all. And you really become process focused on achieving things in training, you know, could be running four to five times a week. If you're doing like three to four right now, maybe it's doing strides a couple times a week. Cause you always neglect that. Maybe it's doing that hard workout that you don't want to do because it's a struggle for you. I mean, whatever, you know, whatever it may be. Um, as he said, like the, the fitness is, is there. So I'm assuming that based on his training, he has indicators that tell him, that, that this is possible. There's always things that you could, you know, tweak in training, but I also think you have to go with kind of the Zen approach to archery or anything else. You identify the goal and then forget about it and concentrate on the process. And when it comes to execution during the race itself, it's really telling yourself that this is no different than anything that you've done for the previous three to four months in practice. You've hit all of those demanding marathon pace workouts that tell you that you're ready to do this. This is just another one of those. Um, You haven't had this kind of anxiety, presumably, going into any of your big workouts, at least not from what you've described in in the question. So you've got to be able to take that same mindset and mentality into the race and rehearse it ahead of time. You know, all of these, these you know, key sessions, getting you ready for the marathon, tune-up races, um, you know, come up with a a routine beforehand that, you know, you will then use on on race day so that it feels very familiar to you. And I think when you familiarize things as best as possible, it tends to keep you calmer, more relaxed, and confident that you're ready to achieve your goal. And the last thing, and Caleb didn't really provide a lot of details on this, but he did mention that his heart rate spikes quicker than in training and that he absolutely has bonked way too early in the race. But look at your nutrition. That's a huge part of the marathon. If you're trying to break three hours, that's a very fast pace. You're burning fuel at a very high rate. I don't know anything about Caleb's fueling plan, but make sure that that is dialed in and that you are getting in what you need to get in so that you can stay on the gas for the entirety of the race. And in my experience as a coach of marathoners, fueling is an X factor for a lot of athletes, but it also can be the one tweak that we make if we really nail it can be the difference between a great day and a blow up. That's a really good point. I mean, it's uh, 
it's it's amazing to me how many gels, if you're relying on gels, like how many gels you can go through if you're running at a really fast pace. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, making sure your nutrition is dialed in, it's going to be such a key part of success. Because once the, once the tank's empty on race day, if you haven't been filling it regularly along the way, you're not coming back from that. Yep. Doesn't doesn't matter how good of a training block you had. You're not coming back from that. So make sure that your nutrition is dialed. Talk to someone who has expertise in that area and go into your next race with the peace of mind that you've dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's. Great, great point. Ready for our last question of the day? Hit me. All right. Marco R. writes that he really enjoys the podcast. He's been listening to it for a couple of years now. Thanks for listening, Marco. He's wondering what specific speed, interval workouts, tempo, threshold runs he would recommend for runners that are trying to PR their next marathon. He knows this is a pretty specific question, but one that he's really intrigued about. He wants to thank you, Mario, for the great content, and he wants to let you know that you're his go-to for long runs and hands down the best interviewer in the genre. So keep doing what you do. Well, thank you, Marco. That is high praise, and I really appreciate it. Uh, And this is a nice follow-up to the last question. So if you are trying to PR your next marathon, I think there are a number of things that you want to look at. One, I am a big believer in frequency. So even if you are not a quote unquote high mileage runner, you can be a high frequency runner. And I encourage my runners to try and get out as many days a week as feasibly possible. Doesn't mean that every day is going to be super long. Um, couple of those days are just filler days. Maybe a 20 minute run, 20, 30 minute run. Uh, but that way there's not as big of a gap between your runs and or workouts. And I found that makes a big difference for a lot of athletes, especially if they are not high volume, just in terms of keeping injuries down, but also just keeping the momentum going throughout the training cycle in general. Second would be volume. I'm not a high mileage advocate. I'm not a low mileage advocate. I'm a right mileage advocate. So find the right mileage that works for you. The most miles that you can run without compromising your performance in workouts or races, without compromising your recovery, without compromising your life outside of running, uh, your relationship with your family and friends, work, etc. Find out what that is for you. It's going to be a little bit different for everyone. Um, there's a huge misnomer out there that, oh, if I want to be good at the marathon, I've got to run over 50 miles a week or over 70 miles a week or over 100 miles, whatever it is. Uh, everyone's got a different idea in their head what they what they need to be doing. Find out what that that peak is for you and try to run as many weeks as possible at that volume in the 12 to 16 weeks leading up to a marathon. Not every week. Um, you should cycle, build in rest weeks, that sort of thing, but find that highest sustainable volume for you because you are going to develop so much aerobically. Most of that is going to be pretty easy running, but you're going to develop aerobically. You're going to be spending a lot more time on your feet. You are going to be prepping your body to better handle the distance of the event that we're talking about here, which is the marathon. Right after that, and almost concurrent with it, is intensity. We talked about this earlier in terms of ultras, but intensity matters with the marathon. It's not all about the long run. You can't run at marathon pace all the time. You also shouldn't be running at like 3K, 5K pace all the time. Most of your workouts for the marathon should fall between 
10K pace and marathon pace. And that could be your interval workout early in the week, tempo runs, work that you build in to long runs. In the meat of a marathon cycle, you are not going to gain a lot from doing workouts faster than 10K pace on a regular basis. I typically will just tack a couple intervals on to the end of a longer session. For example, we might do, you know, eight by a K or something at 10K pace and then do five by 200 quick afterwards. So we, we do it in small doses just so that we're touching that speed, but we don't over, overemphasize it because that's a huge stress on the body when your volume is high for you. And we want to make sure that you stay healthy so that you can train consistently through the course of a cycle. So most of the workouts are going to be 10K pace to marathon pace, um, and sometimes mixing those sort of things. I like to stick with one workout a week that is significantly faster than marathon pace. That's usually around 10K to tempo type effort. So what we talked about earlier, like between 10K half marathon pace, you know, I'd call that like the tempo zone threshold work. A lot of people call it. Um, we'll do one workout a week that's heavily focused on that. And then the second workout of the week will either be some marathon paced work built into the long runs and we increase the amount of volume that we do at that specific intensity as we go along in the training cycle. And I'll alternate that with not long runs necessarily, but workouts that are kind of more at half marathon type effort. So it's faster than marathon pace. It helps build efficiency, helps make you more comfortable at that marathon pace. You can do a lot more work at that intensity because Yes, it's 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 hard running, but it's not so hard that you can't do a lot of it. And just the stress on the body compared to really hard intervals is a lot lower. And I think that's the important thing to keep in mind is just the overall amount of stress that you are putting on yourself when you're marathon training from a volume standpoint, from intensity standpoint, from a time commitment standpoint. Like it, it's a lot of stress. It's a very stressful thing, but you can manage it and you can pull these different layers. I think you want to be careful um, from a workout standpoint to avoid those kind of high speed, high stress workouts. You're not going to gain as much from them in the 10 to 12 weeks before a marathon as you will from doing a lot of threshold work um, and then a lot of steady running at half marathon to marathon type effort. That was a quality answer. I hope the rest of them were pretty quality answers <laughs> too, but I'll take it as, as our, yeah. as our last one. That was my little double entendre. I think, I think, I think that's, that advice is super well taken. I think going into this, if you're doing marathon training, the intention has to be there and focusing on making sure everything that you're doing is, has a has a the right agenda and focus on quality and pace and all that stuff. I think it's super important to stay healthy and be able to have a successful race. Yeah, everything has to have a purpose. And yep. before you go out the door, even if it's for an easy run, just ask yourself or remind yourself, what is the purpose of this run, of this workout? And if you can't answer that question, if your coach can't answer that question, then you need to go back to the drawing board and, and figure some things out. But you need to be able to ask and answer that question every time you go out the door. I love it. I love it. That's it. We did it. We did it. Well, thank you so much to everyone for listening in to the Morning Shakeout podcast, the last Ask Mario Anything episode of 2021. Big thank you to you, Chris Douglas, for co-hosting this with me. I look forward to doing this more frequently in 2022 and also need to thank the sponsors that make this episode possible, New Balance and Recover Athletics. New Balance is my go-to running shoe, trainers, racers, you name it. I've 
run the full gamut of their shoes. I do most of my miles in the Fresh Foam 1080 V11. I've run almost 2,000 miles on that shoe. Not not one pair of those shoes. I've, I've gone through about four pair this year, but I've run about 2,000 miles in the Fresh Foam 1080 V11 this year in 2020. It is a workhorse of a shoe. I can't recommend it enough. It's available in both men's and women's sizes at your local run specialty retail store or on newbalance.com. Also like to thank Recover Athletics for sponsoring this episode of the show. Recover has worked with the world's best sports physicians and Olympians like Meb Kofleski to design an app that makes prehab fun and easy. I use it. Chris uses it. In 90 seconds, the app will customize a program for your body and your training with different resistance exercises, plyometrics, and mobility work. No pills, no potions, no BS, just 100% evidence-based exercises that are easy to follow on your iPhone or iPad. So it's available only in the iOS app store, sorry Android users, right now by searching Recover Athletics or by clicking the link in this episode's show notes couple more things before we wrap up. A big thank you to John Summerford. He is my longtime audio producer for the Morning Shakeout. He makes every episode sound clear and amazing. Also, shout out to Jeff Stern, who manages the AM Shakeout social media accounts. If you want to support this podcast, all the work that I'm doing with the Morning Shakeout, number of ways to do it. The best an easiest way is just by sharing this episode or whatever episode that you've enjoyed recently. Go to the podcast app on your phone, leave a rating and a review. That really helps new listeners to discover the show. Also really means a lot to me. If you want to take that support a step further, as we talked about earlier in this episode, check out our Patreon community. You can get to it by going to themorningshakeout.com slash support. You can become a direct supporter of the work that we're doing here at The Morning Shakeout. That is also going to give you access to some cool perks like the weekly rundown, which is my weekly Patreon-only podcast with my friend and colleague, Billy Yang, and I have a lot of fun with that, uh, but would love for you to become a member of our community on Patreon. So check that out if you're so inclined. And I think that's it, right? That's it. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays, everyone. And we will see you next week with another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. <laughs>